want to thank everyone for those good songs as we were singing this afternoon. It reminded me of uh, several years ago, back in West Tennessee, I've been there now several years, um, we had a gospel meeting going and Brother Grover Stevens was preaching. And I had to, had to leave the singing the last night of the meeting. And Brother Grover Stevens, if, if you didn't know him, you'll get to, maybe you'll get to meet him someday. He's a wonderful, wonderful preacher and a wonderful man. But after it was over, he came up to me as only he could, you know, and everything. And he said, uh, he did a good job on, the, on leading those songs. And so I've, you know, I said, oh, great. That's a good compliment. He said, but just remember, don't drag the songs too much. He goes, the worst thing you can do for a preacher is drag a song right before he has to get up and try to preach. Put, put everybody to sleep. And so I was like, okay. I was thinking, I must have dragged every song. But anyway, I appreciate that, uh, last song. Wonderful song there. Get you ready to go and had everybody stand up. So good. Glad you're all, you were all able to come back and be with us. Uh, once again, thank you all for, uh, asking me to come to, to preach for you today and hope and pray that uh, nothing but good will be done from the preaching of God's Word. As I started out this morning with you, we looked at Psalm 1, and I wanted to, to stress the point to you, there's only two ways. There's only two ways, only two paths in life that we're going down. And I tried to talk more about that, and I wanted to this lesson this afternoon to continue that thought. Okay, and so I ask you to please listen closely as we go through the lesson today. I want you to do more than just sit there and listen. Okay, I want you to participate. I want you to engage yourself. I want you to think and examine your life. That's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your life as we go through this, as we talk about what we're going to talk about tonight or this afternoon. Hopefully we're good. Okay. Um, the title that I have, and I've already had some people comment about the title. Uh, where will you be when you get where you are going? Now, I stole that title, and I'll tell you who I stole it from. It's another one. Jerry Clower used to, he was a comedian, and he went through a lot of, and he used to have a story, okay, and he had a story one time, he was talking about a rat killing, okay, and there was a rat killing at his, at Uncle Versi Ledbetter, one of the Ledbetters, and he, and he, he, one thing about Jerry Clower, when he, when he did his stories, a lot of times he would have a good moral to the story, a lot of times he would try to motivate you and try to get you to think and do better, and he says, you need to know where you're going to be when you get where you're going. And he, then he talked about this story about a rat killing, and he said what happened was they were trying to kill all these rats, and they threw gasoline down in this, I forgot now exactly where it was, and they set it on fire. And he said about 10,000 fireballs ran out everywhere, going into the crops and going into the barn and going into everywhere. And he said that was one time I didn't know where I was going to be when I got where I was going. All right, And that's what he said. And so that stuck with me. I, I think about that a lot. And so I want us to think about that from a serious side, okay, today. Where will you be when you get where you're going? And I want us to turn, if you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, and we're going to begin reading in verse 19. Luke chapter 16 and verse 19 beginning. 
There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the account of the rich man and Lazarus. Some people say that this is a parable. Jesus does not say it's a parable. So we're going to go with what Jesus said, okay? Or what He did not say. There's a lot of reasons why some people think it's not a parable. Okay, one say, well, there's a lot of things in here that's particular that usually Jesus will not give in a parable. One thing is, He calls him by name. There's the name of Lazarus given. I want you to, what I want to do this afternoon for a few minutes is I want you to think with me. I want you to look at your account of the, of the scriptures. I'm going to have it up here on the board, some of the things, and we're going to talk about this, and I'm going to retell this, and I'm going to talk about some things, and I want to get you to think. I want you to think about your life. I want to think about my life. We want to see what we can learn from Jesus in this, in this area. First of all, as we first talk about the rich man and Lazarus, we see a contrast, a major contrast in their lives. We're introduced, first of all, to a rich man. Now, this guy is extremely rich. He's extremely wealthy. He lives in a home with a gate. Okay, a gate. Now, possibly we use gates today to keep others out, right? We want to keep, maybe keep others away from him. Jesus tells us that his clothes were made out of purple, which was normally reserved for royalty, right? Royalty. The process to get the purple dye 
Okay, from shellfish was very expensive, but evidently this man didn't care how much it cost. He wanted the very best, and that's what he was going to have. In addition to his beautiful robe that he had, maybe his t-shirts, his underwear was made from the finest linen available. As we would might say, he was not exactly your fruit of the loom kind of guy. Okay? He didn't wear the standard. He had the best that you could get. This linen was produced from the flax that grew on the banks of the Nile River. It was white, very soft, and it kept him cool in the warm weather. Because it was so expensive, it was only worn by those who were really rich. Often it was just kings and queens who could afford it. This guy had it all. This guy had everything, and he lived in dazzling splendor every day. Notice the account. He feasted sumptuously every day. While some people are quiet about their wealth, this man probably strutted around like a peacock. While some are able to splurge once in a while, he lived in luxury every day. He wanted everyone to know how rich he was. He was in love with himself. He had servants galore, bountiful food, a gorgeous home. As this rich guy left in his chariot, possibly to dine in the finest restaurants, he drove right past a beggar named Lazarus, who was sitting by his front gate each day. Now Lazarus was not able to walk, so someone had to put him by the gate every morning. In contrast to the rich man, Lazarus was in need of everything. He had no home. His health was fading. He was an outcast. He had no food. As he observed the rich man, he says he longed to have the leftovers that were thrown away after each meal or even just the crumbs that fell from the table. His only companions were the stray dogs, who were themselves outcasts. Now see, we live in a, our crazy society that we live in today, some people think more about their dogs and their cats than they do about their relatives. Okay, about their other human beings. And so man, someone says, oh, that would be bad to have a dog come lick your swords. Like, talking about the dog that lives in your house. These were stray dogs that would roam around. They didn't have pets like that then. They came and licked the oozing sores that covered his body. While the rich man ignored his plight, the dogs gave him some comfort as they cleaned the pus away from his festering blisters. While the rich man was clothed in purple, the poor man was covered in oozing ulcers. He probably knew that this contact with the dogs made him disqualified from any religious service that he might want to attend. You think about the contrast in their lives. But there's more. Not only was it a contrast in the way they lived their life, there was a contrast in the way they died in their death. When Lazarus died, 
his misery finally ended. Even though he didn't receive a proper burial or even a memorial service, his misery was over. When the rich man died, chances are, based upon what we know about the times, he had a fantastic funeral. In that culture, when wealthy people passed away, the family would hire mourners. And they would purchase costly spices for the body and use an elaborate tomb for the burial. The whole town would turn out for the funeral and listen to the shrieks and the lamentations of the professional weepers and the litany of praise heaped upon the rich man by countless eulogies. You know, a lot of times nowadays when someone famous passes away, someone who's you know, it was a lot very well known. I think I remember just uh, last year or year before last, Arnold Palmer passed away, and I remember they actually aired the funeral on ESPN, and they had just I mean famous person after famous person got up and spoke about how good he was and how great he was and all the wonderful things that he had done in his life and all that. And I want you to kind of picture this rich man. All of these people are talking about how good of a life that he had. Look at how much money, look how successful that he was. Everything that he had, all these things going for him. There's a lesson learned too late by the rich man, and that is that he who dies with the most toys still dies. He's still dead. So there's a contrast in their lives, a contrast in death, but also a contrast in eternity. As soon as Lazarus died, the Bible tells us that the angels came and took him to the place where Abraham was. Now, true Israelites were expected to share with Abraham in the world to come. Abraham is regarded in Scripture as being not only the great patriarch, from Hebrews 7 and verse 4, but also the father of all believers, Romans 4 and 11. To be considered a friend of Abraham was the highest honor possible, and true happiness would be to spend eternity at his side. Some of your Bibles, some of the translations indicate that he went to Abraham's bosom. In that culture, the most honored seat in a banquet would be nearest to the host, reclining in such a way that one's head would be near his chest. The one who had yearned to receive crumbs and scraps is now feasting at heaven's table. The rich man, when he died, he went to hell. Or more properly, a place called Hades. Notice that it says that, or some translations say he woke up. And that's where he was at. He was in terrible torment. Awful agony. As he looked up, he saw Lazarus far away, nestled next to Abraham. The rich man cried out in a parched voice, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. I want you to think about something with me. What a change from the way that he lived his life. What a change! 
He could have anything that he ever wanted to eat or drink, and now he would be satisfied with just a drop of water. With just a drop of water. And even though he was indifferent and apathetic toward Lazarus when they were both alive, he has no problem now treating Lazarus as if he's his personal servant. How ironic, isn't it? To ask for a favor from the very person who never received a favor from him. Abraham tells this rich guy to remember how he lived his life. His mind feels with images of poor Lazarus lying by his door, with stray dogs licking his wounds. He remembers those who tried to tell him about God. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what, what you will remember. If you, if you find yourself in torment, if I find myself in torment, I want you to think about with me what you will remember about your life. And will you remember about those who tried to tell you about God? Will you remember, will you recall sermons that you've heard and maybe you weren't really paying attention or just half paying attention and now you wish, boy, I sure wish I'd have done something different. He remembers those who warned him about the coming judgment. Memories come swimming out of the oblivion. Someone said there's no torment greater than an accusing memory. You see, it's impossible to forget when you're in hell. It'll be impossible to forget. The rich man could not take his money, but he did take his memory with him. Abraham then states that it is absolutely impossible for Lazarus to come and help him now. You see, he says there's a great chasm between heaven and hell that is fixed so that those who want to go from one place to the other cannot do it. He said, you just cannot do it. There were many of these yawning gorges in Palestine, from what I understand, that were impossible to cross. And he says, now, think about this, the lost and the redeemed, they will be separated forever. Go back to Psalm 1, what we started with this morning. Isn't that what the psalmist was saying to us? There are no exit signs in hell. We were talking about buildings during lunch, and you know, and you've got to meet the codes, right? You've got to do this stuff, so you've got to have so many exit signs, you've got so many exits coming out of the building, and all these things, and guess what? There's not anything like that in hell. There are no exit signs. There is no way to get out. It's a place of everlasting punishment. The rich man is still in hell today and will be there forever. The rich man's first prayer was, give me some relief. Abraham said, there is no relief. There was no answer to that prayer. But you go on and you keep reading the rich man's second prayer. The rich guy, he tries one more plea. This time he begs Abraham to send Lazarus to his family members. 
Jesus tells us when He tells the count that He has five brothers. He has five brothers. He says, why don't you send Lazarus in to my family members? You know what? We might say, you know what, maybe he's beginning to understand what the mission of the church is. What's the mission of the church? It's to save the lost. It's to warn those. To help. He didn't want any company in hell, and especially did not want his brothers to join him there. He he now knows the absolute critical importance of repentance before it is too late. Do you ever want to find someone that knows exactly now what that means? The rich man knows. He's hoping Lazarus could just go back and warn them that they would change. They would change that his brothers, who had no doubt had seen Lazarus by the front gate on many occasions, would suddenly reappear he thinks if he, that would just happen, they would change their ways and get right with God. I want you to think about what a family, six brothers, and all are headed for hell if they don't repent, if they don't turn. Abraham tells, tells him that his brothers have everything they need. They have their Bibles. He says the law and the prophets. There's a day we'd say we have our Bibles, okay? They can listen to believers who can explain the way to heaven. The rich man doesn't like this answer because he knows his brothers. He knows they've just tuned out God and are chasing materialism just like he was. If someone would come back from the dead, then they would repent. Abraham responds by saying that even a resurrection will not convince them because they're not open to spiritual matters. They've tuned out God. I want to ask you a question this afternoon. Have you tuned out God? Have you tuned out His Word? The rich man and Lazarus. And there was a 2015 poll that came out that revealed that 72% of Americans believe in heaven, while 58% believe in hell. When asked where they think they will go when they die, nearly two-thirds think they'll go to heaven, while only 0.5% believe they'll end up in hell. Did you hear me? 0.5%. Why is it that most of us think we'll go to heaven when we die? The rich man was surprised and shocked that he ended up in a place of torment. I'm afraid, brethren, that he won't be the only one that's shocked. He won't be the only one that'll wake up and be in torment. What we learn, brethren, real quickly, 
We learn number one is that the dead are still alive. So what? What are you talking about? The dead are still alive? That's what you call dead. Both Lazarus and the rich man survived their own funerals. We think this is the land of the living, but it's really not, brethren. It is the land of the dying. When we die, we wake up to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. Brethren, we need to think about these things. Young people, you need to think about this. This will help you live your lives the right way. The second thing we learn is that the dead retain their personalities and their essential character. Both Lazarus and the rich man are still the same people that they were. Their character, their personalities are the same. Lazarus is still Lazarus. The rich man is still the rich man. Even in hell, the rich man, listen, even in hell or Hades, the rich man could see, he could hear, he could feel, he could recognize, he could remember, he could speak, he could reflect, he could plead, he could suffer, and he could think ahead. There was only one thing that he couldn't do. He couldn't get out. He couldn't get out. The third thing is that death marks the final separation between the saved and the lost. Jesus explains so much to us. He lets us see that once someone is, is that, and they go to torment, they're going to stay in torment. Once you go to heaven or you go to paradise, you're going to stay there. No one can pass from one place to the other. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It matters what the Word of God says. We talked about that this morning. Don't believe a lie. You listen to the truth. The truth of God's Word. And the God's Word says death marks the final separation between the saved and the lost. The next thing is we see that hell is a place of personal suffering. Three times Jesus mentions torment, suffering, and agony of the rich man. Hell is where God's wrath is going to be poured out. The Bible speaks of a fire that never burns out, a place where the worm does not die, a place of darkness and gloom with a continual weeping and gnashing of teeth. I once read about a preacher one time, and he's preaching, and he's talking about the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this old woman raised her hand. She said, Sir, I don't have any teeth. I don't have any teeth. I, what does that mean for me? He said, Ma'am, teeth will be provided. Okay, God will make for me. If, you, if that's your fate, don't worry about that. Okay, we laugh about that joke, but this is serious, brethren. This is no joke. Hell is a place of personal suffering. We don't want any part of it. The next thing is that those in hell cry out for help that will never come. They cry out for help that will never come. Contrary to popular opinion, contrary to what you may hear out in the world, hell is not a place of one big long party with all of your buddies. I'll never forget when I worked in South Carolina when I was a co-op student. And I'm, I'm working out with these, these contractors and these guys. They were, we had 
brought some guys in to install a, a chiller in, in the plant. And these guys were talking, and we were talking to them about that. And, and somehow we got on uh, talking about certain things, religious topics and everything. And, and I remember the guy telling me, we were talking about heaven and hell. And the guy said, man, heaven sounds boring to me. If this is like that, man, I'll just, I'll just have fun in hell with all my buddies. Man doesn't have a clue. He doesn't have a clue what he's saying. And yet that seems like to be the mentality of a lot of people out in the world. Listen to me. None of the rich man's prayers were answered, nor could they be in hell. He's asking for help. He's asking for relief. He's asking to send somebody back. He's asking to do this, and they're not going to be answered. Your prayers are not going to be answered in hell. This is important, brethren. I want you to think about this. The rich man who is still in hell today knows at least three things. Number one, he knows there's no way out for him. There's no way out for him. Number two, he knows that people can avoid hell if they put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I have to put in parentheses, that means obedience. Because a lot of times we say, oh, let's just trust the Lord. And they don't understand what that trust really means. That means obedience to Him. That means you put your faith, your belief into Him to the point that you want to do what He says. But the rich man knows that they can avoid it because he knew his brothers could avoid it if they would repent and trust and have faith. And number three, the rich man knows that someone needs to warn people about the danger they're in. Some people need, somebody needs to warn the people about the danger they're in. And brother, that's our job. That's our job while we're here. We've got to warn people about the danger that they're in. I want to ask you a question. Are you like the rich man? Am I like the rich man? Somebody wants to come and say, boy, whew, I sure am glad that I'm not rich. You know, boy, if I was rich, oh man, I'd have to worry about all this, but I'm not rich. I'm middle class. <laughs> We're in the middle class, right? We're good. We're not rich. Let me, let me, let's, let's talk for a minute about population. World population. I went to the census.gov. On the, it's amazing what you can, you know, find these days, what you can say. Census.gov, you can find out the world population and all things, where we're at. And as of October 2017, I looked this up just last week. We're a little bit different now, but we're close. 7.43 billion people in the world. 7.43 billion people. Someone says, well, I wonder what percentage, right? What percentage would you say would be rich, rich people? 10%, top 10%? I should say the top 5%. Are the rich. Rich are the rich. Well, guess what? The U.S. population, as of October, we're 4.39% of the world population. What I'm trying to tell you is, brother, we are the rich. We are the rich. So don't throw that, don't throw that card out there and say, I'm not rich. I'm not rich. I'm just middle class. I'm this. We are the rich of the world. So Jesus is talking to us and He's telling us how to use our riches, how to take care that we don't fall in the same category as the rich man. I want you to think about this. I meant to tell you about this. The poverty. 
facts and stats. Almost half the world, over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. At least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. You tell me you're not rich? I'll give you all $2.50 a day and let's see how far you can go. How far you can go in this, in this nation. You're not going to go very far. You see, the point is, we are rich. We are the rich here. So we've got to make sure that we apply the Scriptures to us, to ourselves. As for the rich in this world, charge them not to be haughty, nor set on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly furnishes us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good deeds, liberal and generous, thus laying up for themselves a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life which is life indeed. Brethren, that's what we want. We want to take hold of the life which is life indeed. So what that means is we've got to be good stewards of what God has given us. Good stewards of His money. We've got to make sure that we're taking care, we're doing the things that God wants us to do. We're helping those that are needy. We're helping those that we can do things for. We're not neglecting our responsibilities. We're being generous. We're doing good deeds. We're doing all these things. So we're laying up for ourselves a treasure in heaven. Because we don't want any part of hell. We don't want any part of that. In Luke chapter 12, you remember, remember in Luke chapter 12, <clears throat> the parable, this is a, <clears throat> excuse me, the parable of the rich fool. And he says, fool this night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Something to think about in our lives. Where will you be when you get where you're going? Brethren, what I want to tell you is how you live your life now is going to determine where you're going to be when you get where you're going. I'm going to tell you, brethren, that I should go to hell because that's where I belong. But I'm going to heaven because Jesus Christ died on a cross for me. He took my punishment so that I could go free. Friend, God has done everything necessary for you to go to heaven. His creation reflects His handiwork. He's given you the Bible. He's given you Christian friends and multiple opportunities to get on the road to heaven. God has posted an enormous stop sign on the road to hell. And the sign is in the shape of a cross. If the road to hell, as they say, is paved with good intentions, the road to heaven is paved with the blood of Christ. Let me say it clearly, brethren. You do not have to go to hell. God has provided a way of escape for you. But even God's way of escape will do you no good unless you reach out and take it.
If you ignore Jesus, there's no hope for you. God doesn't have a plan B for those who reject His Son. You know, I don't think the rich man in what we studied today thought much about dying. See, he was too busy with life. Too caught up in this world to even think about the next one. Lazarus, on the other hand, probably thought about death every day. He wondered if he would even wake up the next morning. The clock was ticking for both of them. Even though only one of them was cognizant of the second slipping away, they both were moving closer to eternity each day. And brethren, we're moving closer to eternity each day. I remember Brother D. Bowman saying one time, every time when you get in a car and you pass a car, you're three feet away from eternity. You ever thought about that? You're three feet away from eternity when you pass a car. We need to think about our lives here. We need to think about how we can make sure that we are following and being the kind of people that God wants us to be. I want you to remember, brethren, God loves you this much. He loves you enough that He sent His only Son, the best of heaven, to die for you. If you're here this afternoon and you're not a Christian, I hope and pray that you will think about your life and turn to God. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of your sins and to confess His name before me and you can be baptized, immersed into the waters of baptism to begin your life for Him and live the rest of your life and your days for Him. If you're, if you're already a Christian and maybe you've just let the world kind of, you, you slip back and you've let the world just get the best of you. And sometimes, brethren, it happens. Okay, I want to tell you something, brethren. I struggle just like you do. I go to work sometimes and I struggle with things. I struggle sometimes with, with heartaches, with, with family issues. I, we struggle. I mean, we have the same struggle. We all share the same thing. But there's someone who can help us. Help us so we can go to heaven and be with a place that there won't be any more of this. There won't be any more suffering. There won't be any more having to get up at midnight and, and go into the hospital because something happened or something's wrong. There won't be any more sickness, disease, pain, suffering. Be in heaven. Will you come to Jesus this afternoon. Please come while we stand and sing. I am godly, they reign over the land and sea, the king of the two bands of love.